0: Isaiah chapter 40, we're going to be there um, pretty soon, Isaiah chapter 40. And so thank you for your prayers. I continue to ask that you keep me in prayer in the weeks ahead and uh, believing that God's going to do something through this. I I, I just believe that every sickness, every disease, every besetting sin, every problem, every relationship issue in our lives is an opportunity for you and I to start exercising faith. How many of you know your physical body doesn't grow without exercise? I mean, it grows, (laughs) but it doesn't actually grow healthy without exercise, okay? Our faith doesn't grow if it is not exercised, and so many of us focus on the outcome. We think if we, you know, if we contend for something, and then the outcome isn't what we expected, that we didn't exercise our faith, but we did. It just didn't produce what we thought it would produce, and so, Don't focus on the outcomes. Focus on exercising your faith. And so we've been in this series called Awakening Pure Worship. It's based on the book by Jeff Dio. There are more copies available at the Welcome Center for $15. The study guides for the next couple weeks for our huddles are out there. Um, I cannot possibly cover everything in one sermon that he covers in the chapters, and so I want to encourage you to just uh, read and study it on your own. Last week... um, We talked about made to worship, and I skipped over two chapters. One is called How He Loves Us, and one is called Protection in His Presence. Um, Such profound stuff in there about what God has made available to us that many of us don't walk in and live in. So I'd encourage you to read those. And uh, no, I just felt like coming into this year, this was a message that God laid on my heart um, for us as a body, that we would learn to worship him, that we would learn to love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and that we would learn to love others. And so when we're finished with this series, we're actually going to go into a series that I know you're going to love. It's called Unoffendable. Unoffendable. I know, you're all excited already, I can tell. And we're going to learn how to live. How many of you know we live in a society where we're so easily offended? I mean, we're just offended by the way people look at us, the way people dress, the way people talk to us, when they don't talk to us, I mean, all these different things. We're just so easily offended, we're going to become unoffendable. And we can because of the power of the Spirit that lives in us. And so, uh, if you're not looking forward to that, you might want to skip March and April. Um, But otherwise, we're going to be in that series, and I I know you're going to love it. I know we're going to grow through it. And so, um, Awakening Pure Worship, we've been answering the questions, what is worship? This is where we started, and we learned that worship is not just singing. Worship is every part of our lives. Everything we do is an act of worship unto God, and worship touches or should touch every part of our lives, not just one area of our lives, but we learned also that singing is worship. And that singing is actually a powerful weapon that God has given to us. And not only that, but God himself, the scriptures teach us, sings over us. He sings over you. I don't know if your vision of who you think God is allows for that or not, but um, he's told us he does it. So you need to conform your vision of what you think God is like to who he says he is. And so... What is worship was the beginning. Then we talked about why we worship. Worship transforms our lives. We become what we worship. And so when we worship God, we become like him. We were actually made for worship is what we dug into last week. And now we are on who are we worshiping? Who are we worshiping? Now, I know that you're like, uh, God, yes, and so we're going to spend a couple weeks talking about God, and I know that some of you think, well, I think I know God, and all of us know him, or we probably wouldn't be here to some extent, but I bet all of us haven't yet known him as much as we can. I know that because we're going to find out in the book he tells us that he is unknowable even though he is knowable. And so I've actually patterned my points this week after Robert Morris. And so Janet's going to have to tell me after how I did um, because I actually, as I was writing them down, I'm like, these sound like Robert Morris points. And I haven't listened to Robert in a while, but uh, um, we'll see how I did. And so, we're going to talk about who we worship, and uh, the first thing I want us to talk about is, uh, I didn't put them on the screen, so you're going to have to pay attention and write them down if you're taking notes. The first thing is, we worship a great, big, awesome God. We worship a great, big, awesome God. 1 Timothy chapter 6 said, God is the blessed and only ruler the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. That's pretty profound and pretty powerful. I mean, I think we sometimes, we, we lose sight of who God is. We lose sight of how great he is, how big he is, and one of the ways that we get a better understanding of how great he is is through his word. We read scriptures like this and some of the other ones we're going to look at, and we meditate on them, and it just enlarges our view of who God is, and another way is through worship. As we begin to worship him, we begin to realize he's way bigger than we gave him credit for. Now, I know that most of us would say, I know God is big, I know he's great, but here's the thing, no matter how great you think he is, he's greater than you're even able to imagine. So you could actually grow in your understanding or in your experience of how great he is. Because I know that we all believe God is great and big and awesome, but then I wonder why we get so upset when things don't go our way in life. I mean, most of our problem is a small view of God. And if we would enlarge our view of God, I feel like we would have, we wouldn't have less problems, but we would have less reactions to our problems. And he is all-powerful. He is totally supreme. He is far above every other power, far above every other power. He dwells in unapproachable light. And so anything that you and I have imagined about him has, has been too limiting. Because he is greater than our ability to even comprehend. No one has ever seen him and no one can ever see him except through Christ. Christ came as the visible image of the invisible God. That's what the scripture tells us. In fact, the only way you and I can even know him is because we have Christ. Because he has made him known to us. How about Psalm chapter 145, verse 3. God, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. I love that word. Romans chapter 11, the apostle Paul says, Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments. And now, don't don't misunderstand that word unsearchable. Unsearchable does not mean don't attempt to search. It means no matter how much you search, you never actually reach the end. It doesn't mean you don't find him. If you search for him with all your heart, you will find him, but you will never exhaust him. You will never get to the place where you know everything there is to know about him. In fact, this book was not written just so we could know about him. This book was written so that it would lead us into an experience with him. It's not just about knowing about God, it's about knowing him. And knowing him is through experience. Now, Isaiah chapter 40, I would love for you to just read this chapter over and over and over and over and over again. Because God is so big, and this chapter really is so profound in how it describes him. And I'm not going to take the time to read the whole thing to you. We don't have time in this moment, but I'm just going to read parts of it. And unfortunately, I didn't write down what verse I'm on. So, you're gonna to have to be really uh, good at your Bible translations. Just, just kind of scroll down with me. And I did put it on the screen. So, if you'd rather just follow along there, you can. But in Isaiah chapter 40, I'm gonna start in verse 12. Who else has held the oceans in his hand? I don't know if you've ever stood on the shore of an ocean. I actually have never done this, but I, I kind of wish now I had. Um, but as you stand on the shore of an ocean and just imagine, I mean, that's just one of the five oceans that we have. Do we have five oceans? Those of you who are still in school. <clears throat> I was never very good at geography. Um, but God holds all of them in his hand. I mean, we read that, that short phrase and we just move on. And we ought to read that phrase and just fall on our face. He's so, he's so big. Who has measured off the heavens with his fingers? I, I mean, I don't know if you've seen, I believe it's called Indescribable by Louis Giglio, where he describes how big the universe is, if the earth was a golf ball. <laughs> you know, he's so big. He measures the universe, the heavens, with his, his fingers. The span of his hand. Who else knows the weight of the earth? Who has weighed the mountains and hills on a scale? And then skip down. For all the nations of the world are but a drop in the bucket. A a drop. They are nothing more than dust on the scales. He picks up the whole earth as if it was just a grain of sand. God sits above the circle of the earth. The people below seem like grasshoppers to him. He spreads out the heavens like a curtain, and makes his tent from them. To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? Asks the Holy One. Look up into the heavens. Who created all the stars? Who? He brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each by its name. Because of his great power and incomparable strength, Not a single one is missing. We just take for granted that we're going to go look up and there's going to be stars. We just take for granted that tomorrow morning the sun is going to come up. We don't even worry about it. How How many of you can't sleep at night because you're afraid the sun's not coming up tomorrow? And yet, that's a big thing. We trust God for the big things. We just don't trust him for the little things like cancer, depression, anxiety, the little things. I'm not saying it's a little thing, but compared to the sun coming up or the earth falling off its axis, it's a little thing. But I don't want you to think God is just so big. And so, and neither obviously did God, because then Isaiah chapter 40 finishes with how can you say the Lord does not see your troubles? Have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired, and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust, some of your translations will say those who wait On the Lord, those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and they will not faint. See, for us, waiting is like I'm just going to sit here until something acts upon me. You know, we wait in the doctor's office, we sit there until our name is called and then we go. Biblical waiting is not the same. Biblical waiting is God has already revealed who he is and what he says, what he's promised. And the question is, are you going to lean into it? Are you going to trust in it? Are you going to pattern your life after it? Are you going to believe everything, put everything on it? I'm all in on this promise. Or are you just going to lean back and maybe wait for God to act? And too many of us lean back waiting for God to call our name, and he's already called our name. He's already speaking your name right now. The question is whether or not we're listening and leaning into him. Not only do we serve a great, big, awesome God, but Isaiah chapter 40 says we worship a relational God. That's number two. We worship a relational God. I mean, he's not just so great and big. How can you say he doesn't see you? Have you never heard I mean, everyone in this room, I'm guessing, has already heard. So maybe that first statement doesn't apply to us, but maybe the second. Don't you understand? Don't you understand how much he loves you? How great he is. Not a star, not a sparrow can fall to the earth without his knowledge. This book tells us that God has had relationships with people throughout it. Adam and Eve, even after Adam and Eve, Abraham. Can I tell you, God is no respecter of persons, so anything Abraham experienced, you could experience. Moses, every encounter Moses had with God is available to you and I. Every one of them. David, Samuel, Daniel. I mean, go through the list. Peter, James, John. I mean, anything anybody in this book has experienced, it's not written there so we can be like, oh, God was really nice to his good kids. No, this is who he is. And the question is, are you going to believe it and lean into it? Or are you going to think, well, I'm just not one of the good kids. It's not available to me. Most of what we don't experience isn't because God isn't who he says he is. It's because we don't trust he is who he said he is. He is a relational God. He doesn't want you to meet with him on Sunday. He doesn't want you to meet with him in your quiet time. He wants you to live with him. Paul says it in 2 Corinthians, I will be their God. I will live among them. I will dwell among them. I will walk with them. Where they go, I go. I will be their God and they will be my people. That's what he's always desired. He's given us, I believe, earthly relationships to help us understand the relationship we have with him. Father and son. Husband and wife. It's a picture of Christ's relationship to the church. Now, here's the thing. Our human relationships are imperfect. They're they're incomplete. But we can learn what God wants from our earthly relationships. In fact, in Matthew chapter 7, look at what he says. If you sinful people, I mean, that that gets you an amen, (laughs) know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? See, you know, some of you, the problem is you didn't grow up with a good father. So this, this means nothing to you. But I want you to imagine, surely at some point in your life you've seen a good father. You've seen someone and said, man, I wish that would have been my dad. I mean, you've seen someone willing to sacrifice, willing to play, willing to just be involved in his kid's lives, No matter how many times they mess up, he keeps bailing them out. He keeps offering mercy. You've seen somewhere a picture of a good father. Surely. Now, I want you to imagine the best father you can imagine, even if it's like a TV dad, okay? Just a fake dad on TV, you've seen the best father. Now, the best father, get, get him in your mind, got him? Is nowhere close to your heavenly father. Nowhere close. And that's what Jesus is trying to say. You, you dads, you love to give good gifts to your kids, but you're sinful. You're so incomplete How much more does your Father in heaven want to give you good things? See, we have to understand God's prize or God's goal for us is not just the end result. He's not just looking for soldiers and servants. He's got them. They're called angels. (laughs) Did you know that? They are his ministering spirits. And you know who they're sent to? Us. They're sent to us. They're sent to help us. The reason that God made us perfect in Christ is so that he could come into relationship with us and enjoy the process, not just the destination. Again, I'm not saying God doesn't want you to mature, doesn't want you to grow. In fact, the more we mature and grow, the more blessing God actually gets to pour into our lives because we're actually obeying the laws that he's established. Here's the thing. You don't have to be a Christian to to reap what you sow. You don't. It's a law of God. You reap what you sow. I mean, if you are good to people, they will be good to you. Not every person all the time, but you will. If you are rude and mean to people, guess what you will reap? Someone in the back is going to be spitting in your food. That's what's going to happen. I know that's disgusting, but if you're good to people, they'll be good to you. It's a law of God. And so God wants us to conform our lives to his will. He want, but he's, he's, his relationship with us does not change based on it. That's why he sent his son to receive the full wrath so that you and I could walk in relationship with him, so that he could enjoy the process with us. In Luke chapter 15, the story of the prodigal son. Do you remember the prodigal son developed that whole speech he was going to give the father when he returned home? And as he was returning home, rehearsing the whole speech in his head, his father ran to meet him, okay? And he interrupted him, didn't he? Now, he got to say some of the speech. Some of the speech is important, okay? Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. stop. Bring the fattened calf. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He even got that part out. But do you know the part he never got to say, make me like one of your hired servants. (laughs) No way. You're my son. And so, yep, I need you to repent and I need you to come back into right relationship with me, but you are not my servant. Yeah, I know there's the analogy in Scripture, servant and soldier. But guys, he has not brought us into relationship just so we can get our act together. In James chapter 4, I love the way this translation reads. James 4 says, Do you think that Scripture says without reason that the Holy Spirit whom God caused to live in us jealously wants us exclusively to himself in order to pour out his grace on us more generously? You know why God wants us to conform our lives to his will because he gives grace to the humble. He wants to pour, he wants to pour out better gifts into our lives. But we got to follow his laws to get them poured out. His affection for us never changes. And the problem is so many of us don't understand that and we don't we think well it's it's just not a big deal. You know, I I'll, I'll get to heaven. Don't settle for getting to heaven. Settle for nothing less than full restoration. God designed you for a relationship that looks just like Abraham, Moses, David, Peter, James, and John. Don't settle for anything less than that. I love this. I hope you love this too. I read this week an illustration, and uh, it's actually by a friend of mine by the name of Jeff Ryder, and uh, he put it in his new book. He sent me a copy of his new book to read, and uh, it's in manuscript form. And uh, um, as I read it, I'm like, this is so profound and so true. In fact, he even says something about making sure we don't get caught in doo-doo. <laughs> I'm like, are you serious? It's actually in the book. I actually highlighted it and took a picture and sent it to some people. And I'm like, this, this doo-doo thing is following me everywhere. And so <laughs> if you haven't read the book, you don't understand that. So you're going to have to either go back and re-listen or uh, read the book. But look, I want you to look at this illustration. Let's say that you have just started your new family. You and your spouse have a new baby boy. And if we're going to implement this new, faster process, the prayer to God would go like this. Father, raise up my son to be all that you want him to be. Let him serve you and grow up to be a fine Christian man. Let him walk in the destiny you have planned for him. And let this process start right now and go very quickly. Okay? So the next morning... You go into his room to check on him in his crib, and you find something you didn't expect. He's not a baby anymore. He's full grown, dressed in a suit, and has a briefcase in his hand. Hi, Dad. Thanks for the exciting prayer of me stepping into my destiny last night. I'm already a doctor. I have a great job. I'm getting married next week. I'll be moving out this weekend. I found a great deal on a house across town. Thanks, Dad, for helping me get to my destiny so fast. See you and Mama Thanksgiving. Bye. I mean, that's a ridiculous thing, but that's what we want. We expect that God wants us on day one to be like that. Fully mature and complete, not lacking in anything, and he is not pleased with us if we're anything less. Is that how you've raised your children? And if you and me, sinful people, want a relationship with our kids, how much more does your perfect father in heaven want that? God's goal for us is not to grow up and be independent, his goal is actually for us to learn to be more dependent. And too many of us are far too independent. Most of us are like spiritual teenagers. That's what we are. We have a little bit of knowledge. Sorry, teenagers. I don't mean this this way. I was one too, and I, I don't be offended by this. A little bit of knowledge so we know everything, and I don't need anybody else, and I just can't wait to get on my own. And that's how we act. We act spiritually. I know, I'm, I had people tell me that when I was a teenager and I'm like, who do you think you are? Now that I'm not, I'm like, dear God, I was so arrogant back then. And so it just, but you, we don't see it. it. We're growing. And even if our kids are rebellious like that, we're not like, oh, I hate them. I can't wait till they get out of my house. I mean, we might think it once in a while, but we don't, we don't mean that. We don't want them to hurry up and get out of our house. As soon as they're out of our house, we're like, I wish they weren't out of my house. I want them to come back. So, God wants to be known by us. Look at Matthew chapter 23. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I have longed to gather you to myself. How I've longed for that. Psalm 139, David says that God's thoughts towards us are so vast that they outnumber the grain of sands, the grain of sands on the earth. That's the God you serve. He, he meant to bring you back into relationship with him so you could walk in a living encounter with him. Now, your emotions won't always line up with that. Your feelings won't always line up with that. And your circumstances won't always line up with it. But don't live by that. Live by this. He's designed us for it. And we can walk in it better than we have been. The last one, number three. We worship an inexhaustible God. An inexhaustible God. We worship an inexhaustible God. That means there's never an end to Him. That means no matter how much you learn about Him, you have never learned all there is to know of Him. In fact, He exists in three parts that we don't understand. Father, Son, and Spirit. I mean, He's not three gods. He's one God. But He exists in three parts. And we try to, our best to make sense of this. Well, God is like an egg. You know, he's like a yoke and a white and a, a shell. You get it? No. No, he's like water. He's ice, water, and steam. No. And here's the problem. There's really no way to explain it in a way that you can fully grasp it. Why? Because he's unsearchable. And he's inexhaustible. But you can learn stuff about him. In fact, every day of your life, Every second of every day of your life, you could receive some level of revelation of who God is and never reach the end of it. Not when you die, but in eternity. You can never reach the end of it, ever. That's how great He is. We can all begin to grow in our understanding of God the Father, God the Son and God the Spirit, we tend, and Jeff really hits on this in the book, and uh, you got to remember, he's trying to shock you awake. Because sometimes we just, and here's the thing, we need this. Because so many of us have bought into something that's just not true. He says in the book that we tend in our world to overemphasize Jesus. Did you just put that on the TV? Is that on the tape recording, pastor? Yeah, we tend to overemphasize Jesus and here's the detriment to that. Jesus himself says in John chapter 14, "I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. And he illustrates it this way in the book, so I'm going to just read it to you and let you uh, follow along with it. Uh, Imagine I was planning a road trip to Disney with my family. Ever been to Disney World? All right, you're on, we're going on a trip. I would simply open my simple-to-use smartphone map app and plug in the starting and ending points. Then I'd look at the overall trip, the big picture, the time needed, the roads we'd travel, the potential stops, etc. Then, after cramming all of our travel gear, gear into the Happy Family minivan, we'd pile in and hit the road. But wouldn't it be strange if we never got to Disney? Because we were too preoccupied with the road. What if we drove up and down the highway and never actually reached our destination? What if we couldn't help but stop every five miles to see the sights and to kiss the pavement? Backtracking time and again, overjoyed beyond imagination that someone, somewhere, took the time to build a road to help us get to Disney. It wouldn't be all bad. I mean, roads can be nice. Roads are certainly essential. Driving on roads is often fun. And of course, if roads didn't exist, there could be, there would be no getting to Disney. Without the road, there would be no road trip, and there would be little chance of reaching our destination. Jesus is absolutely essential. He is the only way to the Father. But some of us stop at Jesus and never actually get to the Father. And that's the whole reason he came. Well, so you could have an encounter with the Father. We do it all the time. How many of you know, we pray, we start our prayer sometimes with, Jesus, we ask that you would... And do you know, nowhere in the Bible are we actually taught to start praying to Jesus? I'm not saying it's a sin or it's bad, but every time we're taught in Scripture or modeled a prayer in Scripture, it says, Father. Father. Isn't that crazy? And I think it's to our detriment I'm not trying to underemphasize Jesus. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) He's absolutely essential to this process. He's just not the destination. And it even goes further because in our metaphor with Disney, we've established that Jesus is the way, the road. God the Father is the destination. So where does that leave the Holy Spirit? Simple. The Holy Spirit is the fuel. You and I are the car sitting on the road, the way, Without the road, it's entirely impossible to get to the destination. Off-roading won't cut it. And just to clarify, if you've missed it, heaven is not the destination. The Father is the destination. Heaven is like the acreage that Disney sits on, the dirt. It houses the precious cargo of heaven, but it's not nearly as important as what it houses, fellowship with the Father. We sing about it. Oh, I can't wait till we get to heaven If you're you're waiting to get to heaven because of the gold streets or the pearly gates or the mansion that you're going to receive, you've missed it. The only thing that makes heaven heaven is that he's there. And you get to know him in a way that you didn't get to know him here. But some people, I fear, are going to be bored in heaven because the point of heaven is relationship with him. And we don't really have a relationship with him here. And so we've got to grow in our understanding of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul, some of us end our services this way, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. It's seen everywhere throughout Scripture. Acts chapter 2, this Jesus, God raised up, And of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Here's the thing don't settle for anything less than full restoration, He is inexhaustible. No matter what you've known of him, there's more to know with him. And it's got to start with the Son. We have to be awakened to the Son. He is the only way. But he's also the Word of God. He's also the spotless lamb that takes away the sins of the world. He's also the lion from the tribe of Judah. He's our conquering king, he's our high priest, he's our brother. How can someone be your God and your brother? I mean, this relationship that you've been restored to is way more powerful than you want to give it credit for because you're afraid. You're afraid to think of Jesus as your brother. I don't want to be on the same plane with Jesus. But here's the thing. You're not on the same plane with Jesus because of what you did. You're on the same plane of Jesus because he put you there. You are seated with him in heavenly places. Not because of you, because of him. And if we we fail to recognize this, we will always live like a worm below it. You are not a sinner saved by grace. (laughs) Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners, but everywhere he talks about the church, he's not like, you sinners saved by grace. You know what he calls them? Saints. You are saints of God, seated with Christ in heavenly places. That's who you are. That's what you've become. That's how powerful salvation is. He is our Savior. He is our Lord. So many more we could talk about. We don't have time. We need to be awakened to the Son. We need to be awakened to the Spirit. All of us in this room that grew up in church have preconceived ideas about the Holy Spirit. And I don't think any of us are completely right. Some people are so afraid of the Holy Spirit because they've seen excess and they've seen abuse and they've seen things and they've been taught things that aren't true and aren't in Scripture. And because of that, they don't want anything to do with the Holy Spirit. Others of us, on the other extreme, um, you know, we're baptized in the Holy Spirit, we speak in tongues, but our lives are terribly void of power, they're terribly void of life, and they're terribly void of fruit. So I don't know what experience that we've had, but we're not letting that experience actually take over our lives like it's supposed to. And so our preconceived ideas of what the Holy Spirit is supposed to do and look like don't always come from the Scripture. But Jesus did teach us about the Spirit. In John chapter 14, he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. See, Jesus says, and not just in this passage, that the Spirit had been with them and later would be in them. In John chapter 20, he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. They, re- they react to that. They respond to that. There's a physical manifestation that happens. They receive the Spirit. I believe he's in them. Okay? In Luke chapter 24 and Acts chapter 1, it's also said by Jesus that the Holy Spirit would come upon them. When we think about the Holy Spirit coming upon people, don't think about the Holy Spirit coming down to descend upon people. He doesn't come down to descend upon people. He's in you. He comes up on you. There isn't a pawn moment with the Holy Spirit that gives you power for life. It's an experience that is talked about in Scripture, to be baptized with the Spirit in fire. Paul tells us in Ephesians, be continuously filled with the Spirit. He tells us to pray in the Spirit in two places. Jude also tells us that. There is an awakening to the Holy Spirit that needs to take place in our lives, and we do not want to settle for anything less than full restoration. The Spirit is with all men right now. He's with them, drawing people to salvation. Okay? The Scripture says He's on the earth. He's active. He is drawing people to salvation, and the Holy Spirit draws us to salvation. He is with us. When you come to salvation, when you put faith in Christ, He comes in us. He starts teaching us. He starts helping us. He starts guiding us. But He comes upon us for power. And some of us, well, if the Lord wants me to have it, then I'll get it. No one in Scripture really gets it by not asking for it. You say, what about Cornelius? He didn't ask for it. Oh, contraire. This guy prayed day and night. He was asking for everything God was ready to dish out. He didn't know what the Spirit was like, but he was asking for it. You can't just wait. Oh, okay, God, I'm just waiting for the Holy Spirit. Lean into it. Shut off a television show or so. Skip a meal or two. How about you want to have a relationship with the Spirit? And then I think we need to be awakened to the Father. We need to be awakened to the Father. I believe this is what ails many of us. There's a misunderstanding of who our Father is. He's a good Father, and we failed to reconnect with Him. But look at some of the stuff Jesus says about it. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Again, don't, you know, don't panic. If someone prays and says Jesus, you know, don't freak out on them and be one of those crazy, um, you know, sign carriers. Don't pray to Jesus. It's a sin. i are not saying that. I'm saying if you stop at Jesus, you are missing out on a relationship that God designed you to have. And this is why I think some of us have a hard time de- de- giving the love of the Father to others. It's because we haven't received it. We don't know what it is to be loved by the Father unconditionally, and that's why we get hung up on the flaws of other people. That's why we are quick to un- be unforgiving and bitter, and we-, we get offended with people because we don't know the love of the Father. Here's the thing. No matter what anyone has done to you, it pales in comparison of what we have done to the Father, and never once has He held our sins against us because of His love. And the only way you and I are ever going to be capable of giving that away is if we receive it from Him. And we don't receive it from him if we don't walk in relationship with him. And walking in relationship with him is not just making sure you check off your Bible reading every day. And it's not just making sure you went to church every Sunday. It's living in an encounter, a relationship with the Father. And letting him fill you. Letting him touch every part of your life. Admitting you don't measure up. Not expecting the the rod of correction. But expecting... Even more grace and mercy. I tell you the truth. My Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now you've not asked for anything in my name, but ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Then in verse 26, in that day you will ask in my name. I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. Some of us think, well, Jesus is our advocate. He's interceding for us. I don't believe Jesus is talking in heaven as our advocate interceding for us. I believe his presence is interceding for us, okay? He stands at the right hand of the Father, and his very presence is the constant reminder that he did everything for us. He is our constant advocate. Now, he could be talking, but I don't think he needs to talk. His very presence is our advocacy with the Father. The Father himself loves you. He loves you. Too many Christians, I don't think, understand the love the Father has for us. The last one, when Jesus prayed for us in John chapter 17, look at what he prays. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one. And we emphasize this. We're like, oh, if the church could ever get unified, if we could ever get in unity, man, the world would believe. But look at what he says. As I am in, as you are in me and I am in you, may they be in us. In us. Can I tell you something? Unity is not the place where you and I agree on everything. Where we agree on every piece of doctrine, where we agree on every practice, everything we're supposed to do as a church, what songs we sing. I mean, then we'll have unity when we all think exactly the same. That's not unity. Unity is when we get in him to the place that we can offer grace and mercy to one another even when we disagree. There's this quest for doctrinal purity in our world today that I think is, is actually inspired by demonic forces. We're so afraid to get it wrong doctrinally. And absolutely, we should watch our doctrine. We should have leaders over us that help us, that, that guide us and direct us. No, none of us should be arrogant. But there's also this, this other side where we're so afraid. So we put down anyone that ever misspeaks in any sermon ever. Oh my goodness, who in the world is getting into heaven if we can't ever misspeak or misknow or mislearn, how many of you from the time you were born until the time you were raised or where you are right now have learned something in your life? There was something you believed to be true at some point in your life, not just about God, about anything, and now you know different. I mean, we all do, right? We grow. My theology is perfect in Christ. It doesn't mean I should be lazy, it doesn't mean I shouldn't study. But we cannot live in this fear that if we get get it wrong, man, you're out. And that's what keeps the world from believing. That's what keeps us from experiencing unity. We don't know the love of the Father. I think we need to be awakened to the Son, awakened to the Spirit, and awakened to the Father. And so some of you are in this room, and you maybe don't have a relationship with the Father at all. You have not been awakened to the sun. You have not come to a place where you've surrendered your life to Christ. You have believed in his sacrifice for you to give you everything you need, to put you on right standing with God. Today you need to be awakened to the Son. Some of you need to be awakened to the Spirit. I'm not saying you never were baptized in the Spirit or you never, you know, spoke in tongues at all, but you need to be awakened to the Spirit, the power of the Spirit, the life of the Spirit, the fuel of the Spirit. Every day of our lives, we should live live with expectation that anything could happen today. If the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in me, today could be a day. I mean, how dare we treat this moment casually? How dare we just wander in here at whatever time we get there and, you know, just maybe sing a couple songs? How dare we not say, God, today is pregnant with possibility. Today could be the day you move upon me to lay my hands on the sick or someone's going to die and we're going to raise them from the dead. I mean, today... Could be the day. You need to be awakened to the Spirit. Not awakened to emotionalism, not awakened to some fanaticism, but awakened to the power of the Spirit that transforms your daily life. You're going to walk into work every day. Oh, just another day. No, today is a day. Today's the day of salvation. You need, some of you need to be awakened to the Father. You need to be awakened to the love of the Father. I can't explain it to you. I can only tell you that in the moment that you just receive it, it's so amazing. And it, it transforms the way we see. We no longer have to try to please him. We recognize that he's already pleased. And so we're going to end the service today, and I'm going to play us a song in just a moment. And I want us to really allow ourselves to be awakened to God. Allow ourselves to be awakened to the Son, awakened to the Spirit, awakened to the Father. And our prayer team is going to be here in the front. If you need prayer, if you you want to be saved, you don't know how. You want to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, you don't know how. You want someone to pray for you to experience the Father, the Son, the Spirit in a way you never have before. We're going to pray with you in that moment. And we're going to sing a song that comes out of this idea that God is so jealous for us. It's actually a song that Jeff talks about in the book. And it's written by a man who got a phone call that one of his friends was killed tragically. And he writes the words of this song in that moment. And the song is called, Oh, How He Loves Us. I think every single one of us in this room today should not walk out this door until we have come face to face with the love of God. God, I can't leave without it. I can't leave without knowing how desperately you love me. The Apostle Paul says, I pray, I kneel before the Father in heaven all with all the time and I pray that you would encounter experience the love of God that you would experience the love of God even though it's so great you'll never fully understand it it's not like you can say well pastor I've experienced the love of God all week (laughs) great but you know what there's more you could experience it every second of every day of your life and never exhaust the love of God it's so high wide deep and long you can't ever reach the end And here's the thing, if you're having trouble bearing fruit in your life, discipline is not what you need. I mean, yeah, it is, but the way to get it is your connection to the vine. It's the love of the Father. Because if we stay connected to him, we bear fruit. It just flows out. I want to be transformed from the inside out. And so stand with me and I want to encourage you, if you, need, if you need prayer, our prayer team is here in the front. If you want to just find a place to pray on your own, you're more than welcome to do that. But let this song just resonate in your heart as we sing it together, and then I'll dismiss in just a few moments. Feel free to sing it. Feel free to just listen to it, but respond to it, react to it right now. We need prayer to experience the love of the Father, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, the grace of Jesus. We're here for you.
1: And he is jealous for me. Oh, I like a hurricane. I am a tree, bending beneath the weight of. All of a sudden I'm unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory, and I realize just how beautiful you are, our creature affection so full. Redemption by the grace in his eyes, if grace is in.
0: for your love. Thank you for your love. I pray today that everyone would experience the love of the Father in this place. God, that even though your love is so wide, so long, so high, and so deep that we can never fully understand it, God, help us to grow in it. Help us to experience it today more fully than we have before. Father, may your grace, may your love, may your fellowship be with each of us today. In just a moment, we're going to dismiss you, but these altars are going to remain open. If you want to spend some more time in His presence, if you want to receive from Him, I want to encourage you, if you, if you want to receive from Him, you have to ask. You have to ask. And sometimes there are things in our lives that are actually blocking from being able to receive, and sometimes we need to, to have others pray with us. And so our prayer team is going to stay here for just a few moments, kind of linger with you, and allow you to, to respond to what the Holy Spirit's doing in your heart and in your life. And so I want to encourage you to, um, to just respond to whatever he's uh, saying, whatever he's doing. I want to encourage you to, to do the thing that maybe uh, you've refused to do find in my life God always brings me to my greatest point of resistance in other words you know God I want to receive from you but I'm not going to go there I want to receive from you but I'm not going to do this I want this but no not that way and so I want to encourage you to, to maybe choose to humble yourself before God and allow him in this moment just to deal with that area and let him let him just pour his grace freely upon you he gives great grace to the humble and so take a moment humble yourself before him receive from him if you need to be dismissed uh, just do it quietly let this be a place of prayer for those that want to spend some more time in prayer Uh, you need prayer for anything we're here for you and so God bless you as you go may you walk this week in the full understanding fuller understanding of the grace the fellowship the love of God God bless as you go